Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. And apparently this is throwback week. Uh, Rich, last episode, we got Bryant West back on the show today. What's going on, Bryant? How you doing, man? The reunion tour. I'm doing great, bud. I'm very, very happy to be back. I'm very happy to be in the best month of uh, the sports world. Um, my St. Mary's Gales are the highest seed they've ever been. We got a, a decent number of potential uh, prospect v. prospect matchups in uh, the first or second round of the tournament. So things are going great. Glad to be back. Yeah. How is, uh, I guess, before we dive in, how's the the move coming along? And I, by the way, we are live streaming out. Sorry to cut off your response there, but I forgot to acknowledge this. We are live streaming. Anybody that hopped on the stream uh, 30 minutes behind the scheduled start time, totally my fault. I got caught up in a conversation that uh, once it started, I had to keep going there. So totally apologies there. But anybody listening to the recording, going to do live streams a little bit more often. And the video form of this is up on YouTube as well. So definitely check out King's Pulse YouTube. But sorry, I'll go back to this question here. Just how how's it been going, Brian? I mean, it's been a second, man. Yeah, it has. Um, anybody wondering why I just suddenly vanished from KP? It's because uh, my wife and I bought our first house. Um, it was a little bit more of a fixer-upper than I think uh, I was mentally ready for. Um, so it's it's been a trip. Um, but, you know, uh, we're finally at a spot where I'm like, okay, I can really start diving into prospects. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get going. Definitely, man. Um, you know, vague feeling on this on this 2022 draft. Like I've kind of not done all too much research. I, I have a decent idea of the ten or so guys that we're going to talk about today, and I think I like feel like I already have a duo picked that's going to be the Franz and Moody of last year, but this year's version. Um, but comparisons between <laughs> the way that last year's draft was in terms of depth or top end talent like what do you see as as the difference between these kind of groups that we're working with here well i definitely think that uh if either cade cunningham or evan mobley were in this draft they would be far and away my number one pick um which isn't a massive criticism on the guys at the top i think they're definitely franchise uh, changing players. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that they're as sure a prospect as Kate Cunningham or Evan Mobley. Um, but at the same time, the class from like one to 10, at least of the 10 guys that I'm comfortable at this point talking about, I definitely think there's a lot of, of good players who, who really do fit needs for Sacramento. Um, just to kick it off, I know that if Las Vegas held odds on draft selections, the overwhelming favorite for Sacramento right now would probably be trade the pick, right? You agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, at the same time, if the Kings are bound and determined to launch their rebuild next year, you know, a draft pick in the one to seven range may sadly be the Kings best trading asset this off season. Um, but if there's anything I'm excited for and expecting to see during March, it's, that the top 10 in this class, top 10 talent in this class really can shine. Um, it, this class really does offer a great collection of lottery level players who conveniently sack for Sacramento 
offer upside at positions and skill set that the Kings really don't have right now and they need. Um, and if we're going to take anything from the Keegan Murray explosion and the strong seasons of A.J. Griffin, Benedict Matherin, Johnny Davis, on and on, it really should be the idea that maybe the Kings don't need to trade this pick if it isn't in the top three. Um, there's real talent in this class and talent that really could help the Kings quicker than I think can otherwise be expected. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Like for me, I, I think that there's going to be like a five, six, seven spot where if, if the Kings are sitting there, then I'm really struggling to not just take one of like my probably going to end up two draft crushes um, because I am with you. Like I, I think as I've dove into it a little bit more, there's a couple guys that even if they're outside the top four, like you're saying that I'm going to have to give some really strong consideration because we all know the Kings need to make big moves this off season. I think that the least that they could do that I would be happy with is selecting their pick, a guy that they really believe in, even if they're sitting at five, six, seven, and then also trading Rashawn Holmes and whatever other maybe filler you need to, to kind of balance out the roster and you get two players that you believe are starting caliber because right now you have two fringe all-stars Fox and Sabonis Harrison Barnes is a quality starter in my mind Um, and then you have two guys that probably are being asked to do too much and if you were just able to upgrade and actually have two players that are starter caliber or you believe will be starter caliber that's like the bare minimum that I'm willing to accept and kind of see the logic with this offseason and there are guys again in that five to seven where i think fit that mold um but i think um well i guess as of right now the last game prior to this recording the kings lost in utah despite De'Aaron fox having a phenomenal game he's just on a ridiculous tear right now but they're sitting with the sixth best lottery odds the sacramento kings and they're only a game higher than the fifth seed Tyrese Halliburton, uh, excuse me, Buddy Heald led Indiana Pacers, um, in which in they're going to have a week. matchup here soon. Yeah, that's going to be very fun. But the Kings odds, you know, at the sixth spot, if that's where they stay, which I, I think that they could, you know, they're two and a half from the seven spot. I think they're going to end up somewhere between five and seven, I would say <laughs> five and eight, maybe at worst. Um, but sitting in six, which I think is reasonable, if you were to stay there, you have a 37.2% chance of jumping into the top four and a 9% chance of jumping to first overall, which is far from nothing. You know, a, a 37% mm-hmm. chance that you are so drastically changing the trajectory of this franchise. Um, I, I guess, is that fair to say if you jump into the top four, that that wording drastically changing the trajectory is, is that fair for... Obviously, one and two, I think. But if you're, say, you jumped to four, uh, I think you've taken a real big step in the right direction. Um, you know, as time has gone on, I've kind of more fallen in love with uh, the top two guys on my big board, and I think there's going to be a tier difference for me separating Jabari Smith Jr. and Chet Holmgren from uh, the rest of this class. Um, so three to four, it's a little bit of a conversation, but at the very worst, like jumping up means that you have more options. Picking the top four is going to be more valuable 
either in trade conversations or just from a pure asset management. I mean, I would rather have Jade and Ivy uh, than anybody else outside the top four. Um, so it's a step in the right direction. And honestly, it's the best step this team could probably take this offseason. So I don't think that Monty McNair is going to pull a rabbit out of his hat that's going to be better than a top four pick. So, um, yeah, it, it one can only hope. Absolutely. Um, I guess the way we can format this is let's start with, say the Kings jump to the number one pick. Maybe instead of just straight up giving you your pick of the pool, I'll be more blunt. Okay. Is it Jabari Smith? Yeah. Junior? Okay. I, I, I would take him uh, number one right now. I would absolutely understand the argument for Chet Holmgren. Um, if the Kings were in the either of those top two spots and they ended up with either of those players, I'm going streaking. I'm celebrating. This team is going to be vastly improved, not just next year, but um, over the long term of the future. Um, I would say that I could see the argument enough for either one of those two guys that um, I'm not going to be disappointed if the Kings got the number one pick and didn't take Jabari Smith Jr. Because Chet Holmgren is a fantastic player who fits remarkably well with Domas Simonis. So um, either one of those two dudes and I'm celebrating. Yeah. And I, I think that the idea of our first episode kind of diving into these guys, maybe I'll, I'll go over a little bit of the fundamentals with each of these guys as we go through it. And Jabari Smith Jr., anybody unaware, 19-year-old uh, freshman at Auburn who is 6'10", and a ridiculously high high release who's shooting 42.8% from three on about five and a half attempts per game. He's averaging 17 points for one of the better teams um, in Auburn and plays 28 minutes a night. It's He has the potential because of also what he is able to do on the defensive end of the floor with his length and versatility to come in, in my mind, and be a 3 and D guy that's ready mm-hmm. right away, but also has these great physical tools and to be that big and, and make the impact you do on defense, but also shoot at that rate. If he's able to, in time, develop a little bit of a handle and maybe getting a get to the basket game and finishing around the rim a little bit better, that there's also this high upside. Like, do you feel like it's... Am I being too much by saying that he almost feels like this weird high floor, high ceiling? Oh, no, I completely agree with that. Um, like you said, if he comes, if the Kings were able to draft him, I think at the very worst, he could make a serious impact uh, from tip off of game one, just from his shooting and defensive tenacity alone. Um, it's, it's not wrong to say that he is one of, if not the best shooter in this draft class. Um, and at 610, I don't have to sell you on how valuable that is. Um, hit 43% of his three pointers on five and a half attempts, 81% from the line. Uh, his shooting splits on synergy are absolutely insane. He was 89th percentile on all jump shots, 92nd percentile on catch and shoot shots, which, you know, how valuable is that in a De'Aaron Fox Sabonis run offense? Uh, and 83rd percentile on all dribble jumpers. Um, 
at his 6'10 frame, long arms, and a genuine ability to hit fadeaway shots just makes almost all of his jumpers impossible to block. Um, you kind of talked about it there, the big concern that a lot of people have about his uh, potential is a limited sample size and limited success around the rim. Uh, I saw a thread on NBA Draft Reddit the other day that noted that only 14% of all of his offensive attempts came at the rim, which is absolutely historically low. Um, I saw somebody on Twitter, I'd feel bad not being able to credit them, but somebody flipped that around and said, boy, it's it's absolutely historic that we're talking about a number one dude whose uh, offense is so successful and predicated on a jump shot ability. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's definitely a unusual shot diet for a 6'10 dude. Uh, I will say that the best excuse for the weakness we we're talking about is that Bruce Pearl basically begs him to be this kind of shooter in order for Auburn to succeed. Uh, the Tigers only have one other serious rotation player who's shooting higher than 32% from three. Everybody else is below that. So Auburn really needs him to drag defensives out to make room for the rest of the offense because it's all built around cutters and Walker Kessler was a 7-1 big man. So this is what Auburn needs of Smith. And when you pair that shooting ability with, like you talked about, incredible defensive upside, real quick twitch, uh, explosiveness, long arms. I mean, you don't play in Auburn if you're not a good defender. So uh, he just he doesn't take plays off on either end of the court. Um, and, you know, he's the son of a former king. So that's pretty cool. What more could you ask for? Yeah, I don't know. Wings? I I feel like I might be asking for a lot by trying to get a wing player on the Kings, right? I mean, you should probably know (laughs) anybody. It never happened. I might be dramatic because I've only done two (laughs) years of this. You've had way more to deal with. Uh, They've only drafted one wing in the entire first round of the last 15 years. Do you know who that is? Or, oh, um, no, sorry, um, too. Not Josh Jackson. Dude, Josh Jack- um, uh, I mean, Justin Jackson's one of them. Omri Caspi's uh, the other one. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. God. That's it. So, uh, and the nice thing about Jabari Smith is like, he's a, everybody talks about, whoa, what's he going to play? I think he's a four. But at the same time, like, you couldn't script a better four unless he was a little bit better of a rim protector uh, to fit next to Sabonis. Um, and and I think he's absolutely quick enough to guard down the lineup. Uh, he thinks he's tall and strong enough to guard up lineups. I think he needs a, probably a year before that works. But his his defensive versatility mixed with the fact that his offenses, uh, elite offensive skill is probably the biggest need Sacramento has moving forward. Like I, Jabari Smith Jr. is just tailor-made to come to Sacramento. It needs to happen. I would give anything. Um, God, just please. And I feel so stupid often on this podcast saying that like this whole team is just solved. It makes so much sense if they jump into the top four because every team sitting five to seven is saying this exact same thing. Uh But like, God, I just get so excited at the idea of Fox and Sabonis and adding one more of these top guys. Um, And again, the odds aren't horrible maybe i'm just trying to find some sense of optimism because it's what you have to do with this team as i'm learning more Uh and more Um, but 37.2 percent of top four again and nine percent chance of jumping to that number one jabari smith is a guy that i love um 
you know, I sadly don't have a great understanding of the bracket going on with March Madison, just where everything is at currently. Um, but is Auburn a team to for Sacramento fans to kind of keep an eye on to be able to watch Jabari through the rest of this month? Yeah, absolutely. Um, assuming they get out of their first round matchup with uh, Jack State. I'm sorry, I don't even know what Jack State is. Um, the 15th seed, so my apologies. Uh, they'll probably face off against either USC or Miami. Uh, there's a chance for a Sweet 16 matchup with uh, Johnny Davis, who we'll talk about in a little bit. That would be pretty fun. But Auburn's just, as always, a fun team to watch. They have a, a real set play style. They're a fast, high-paced team. Uh, they're determined on both ends. I don't necessarily that know that I'm going to bet for them to go all that far. Uh, I think Elite Eight's probably where I'll have them going. But, yeah, it, they're definitely one of my favorite teams to watch this year. And anybody who can watch them, check them out in the round of 32. Jacksonville State. Thank you, Justin. See yeah, you. Obviously. Gosh, you're the draft. I don't know. I'm, I I just pulled up the bracket and it literally <laughs> just has J-A-X State. And I'm like, that could be like four words. Who knows? Who knows? There's Jacksonville a, State. Um, there's a college who just made their tournament for the first time called Bryant. Nice. You have to switch <laughs> over. You have to switch over. Nope. Where are my St. Mary's? <laughs> I'm not taking this ready. off. Already. We're ready. Highest, oh, seed in, highest seed in college history. Let's go. Again, anybody listening to the recording, King's Pulse on YouTube, you can see Bryant flexing his St. Mary's gear. So if – or let's just talk about the potential fit of, of Chet Holmgren. First of all, actually, yeah, let's just start with this. Yeah. He's too thin, Bryant. <laughs> what is your reaction to people that are just Ugh. react – uh, um, yeah, go ahead from there. What is your reaction to this take? I understand why people coming into the college season for the first time, when you see Chet Holmgren, when you see this seven-one dude who is definitely outweighed by a lot of collegiate guards and pretty much every NBA guard, I understand why you're staring at him and wondering, how is this dude going to play big in the NBA? And and I'll just say two things. One, is that not the exact conversation we had about Evan Mobley last year? And it two, is. dudes get bigger. He's 20 years old. He's going to go into a dedicated weight training, you know, beyond college. College can only have dudes work out so much. I am very much looking forward to Chet Holmgren going into the NBA and proving a lot of those doubts wrong because for a guy as skinny as he is, uh, he just plays with such uh, toughness and physicality. that it, It's just hard to undersell how not concerned I am in the long run of his career. Uh, and if anybody wants to hear a much more educated opinion on this, the uh, ESPN duo of Mike Schmitz and Jonathan Voni wrote a must-read piece breaking down why he's polarizing against NBA terms, but they did a really good job of framing the concerns about his physicality uh, and the massive, insane positives in his production. Uh, I'll, I'll just read one line from their piece. You have to look back to Shaq, David Robinson, and Akeem Olajuwon for NBA lottery picks 
who put up this type of scoring, rebounding, and blocking numbers that Holmgren has produced on a per-minute basis, and none of them did it when they were freshmen. Chet Holmgren's production all season, but especially since conference season started uh, in January, has just been absolutely incredible. Yeah, it is very difficult to not feel like Chet Holmgren is is absolutely ridiculous to me. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things where he's a raw player and there's moments where it looks sloppy or there's just a lot going on and, and the build does look concerning sometimes because, like, I pointed to Mobley as well, but he's even, like, what, 20 pounds less than Mobley? Like, I was talking about this with someone yesterday and pulled up Mobley film after, and I'm like, God, Mobley looks significantly bigger this guy than this guy. Mm-hmm. So I get it, but we've seen these outliers of guys that have a leanness to them still be able to make it work, especially when they're extremely talented and have a great feel for the game. And mm-hmm. I just can't. I can't overlook Chet. You know, like the wording is constantly, mm-hmm. and I, I think that you've been tweeting this a lot too, just don't overthink this guy. Yeah, and absolutely. I catch myself doing it all the time, but it's hard myself, not to. It's hard yeah. not to because even at the college level, he struggles with things that he struggles with things that you would expect a center, and I put that in quotation marks because I don't think he should be a center at the NBA level. I think he should be a big, um, he, he struggles at things that you expect big men to be able to do. And it's going to be a real challenge for him when he gets to the NBA. Cause everybody's just going to keep going at him until he proves that he can do something about it. But his rim protection, his defense around the rim is never limited by how much dudes outweigh him. He just gets it done. Can you clarify the whole um, big, not a center, and in your mind the difference? You know, I honestly have thought all year long that he would do best ending up being the unicorn next to a traditional center. Um, and that really benefits his skill set because he, he's a, he can shoot from distance. He has an excellent driving game. And... He's a really good rim protector. But if you're just having him sit in the post and end up guarding dudes who are going to try to just low post up against him, you know, and primarily on the defensive end, I think that he is going to be, he's going to leave some de- to be desired on the defensive end. I think he would be best against a bigger center, somebody who is strong enough for the, the more traditional low post battles and that would allow him to be more of a free-roaming rim protector who doesn't need to be at the rim at all times. Now, did everything I just say there not sell you on him being paired up with Saponis on day one or not? It absolutely did. Um, so then my follow-up would be, because I think that we both agreed, first would be Jabari over Chet. Um, I see both as phenomenal fits. You did a, You agreed with that, right? I I know that you and I are probably going to be two of the only draft analysts in the world who don't have uh, Chet Holmgren number one. So I'll just say again, I see them as a 1A, 1B in this class. I'm going to understand both. If I'm making the pick, I'm picking Jabari just because I think that his elite skill set 
fits as well with this team. And honestly, just give me a damn forward already. Uh, but I'm not going to be disappointed with Chet Holmgren. And I feel weird saying that because then suddenly I'm cheering for two Gonzaga big men. Yeah. What is going on here? Take the hoodie off. <laughs> um, I sell I my spells to the you. Dark Overlords. <laughs> clearly. Clearly. I'm with you. Um, I lean Jabari over Chet. Like, again, same tier. And mm. that is the only two in that tier. And the way that I operate is if they are within the same tier, I have no issues picking the better fit. You, But you don't go down a tier for the sake of fit. And Chet mm-hmm. and Jabari are my tier one. So I have no issues with either one of them. Um, I would go Jabari because I think he has a higher impact immediately, which I get is not a great reasoning but he also has the upside to go with it and i think he's just a smoother fit i think that chet hypothetically fits and again he's a very raw prospect in a way that jabari is raw as well but it has immediately things that are going to translate and i just have more worries that the kings could mess up chet than they could mess up jabari to be honest i think that's i definitely agree with that statement so that's where I'm at, and, and yeah, that's why I'm with you. Um, but Chechabari, the only ones in that tier, right? There's nobody else you would consider for one. Uh, not uh, – I wouldn't consider. Um, I would understand the case for Paulo Banquero. Uh, I would understand the case for Jaden Ivey. Um, if I squint, I could understand the case oh, for God. AJ Griffin, but I'd oh, probably God. feel better. Not at number one. Not at number one. I was at number okay. two and somebody said uh, Jabari Smith Jr. heard from his dad that Sacramento is the worst place ever. He will not play. I could squint and see the case for those all three of those guys, but no, those are I, my two. I'd be more concerned if Jabari Smith was getting information that Sacramento was the best place ever. Like <laughs> he has the wrong people in his ear right now. Um, <laughs> not the city of Sacramento, obviously. Yeah. Um, no, the city of Sacramento was nothing fun. but incredible supportive to his dad in the I think he was here yeah. three two two three years that was before you were born so yeah yeah i yes definitely had to get educated on his father i <laughs> heard of the son first i'm not gonna lie um, <laughs> talk to me about paulo because okay. i think he's a guy and i i should have ran through chet's as well but i'm sure most people are familiar i guess i'll backtrack for a sec check chet uh, Holmgren, Gonzaga, 20 years old, seven foot with a seven five wingspan in that sort of skill set. That's just absolutely ridiculous. Unicorn we were talking about. Um, what is it? Imperialist Poku, right? Isn't that Will's, <laughs> Will's common word? That wording? was Will's name for him. And it just stuck for me, especially since, you know, I got to root against Gonzaga every opportunity I can. Yeah, there you go. Uh, shout out Will Griffith. Paulo Banchero, 19 year old freshman at duke 610 with a 71 wingspan he's almost like kind of polarizing in a way i i don't think that i see too many people dropping him out of top four or anything like that like a lot of what i see is that the top four feels fairly cemented as cemented as any draft is going to be at this point because we say that and people fall and and jump 
more than we obviously ever expect. But yeah, Paulo seems like he's usually sitting at that three four. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that people have a decent amount of skepticism with him. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll run through the basics. Um, in the 34 games he's played at Duke so far in 32 minutes a night, he's averaging 17 points, 7.8 rebounds, 3.1 assists, um, 1.1 steals, and just under one block a game on 47% from the field, 30% from three on 3.3 attempts per game, and then 72% from the free throw line on just under five free throw attempts per game. Talk me into, let's say that you have to pitch Paulo to the Kings. Talk me into that fit. If they pick him at three and you have to be optimistic about this, what are you, where do you feel good? Well, I'm not pitching it from a fit standpoint. I'm pitching it from the best player available standpoint. Uh, Honestly, if it wasn't for chat, I would say that Paulo is the dude that we're overthinking the most in this draft class. Um, he's been the first name on the Duke scouting report all season, playing under the brightest lights in the country um, during Coach K's retirement tour. Uh, I know that Duke hasn't been the most consistent team all year long. Um, they lost in their last home game against North Carolina. They lost in the ACC tournament final against Virginia Tech. But Paulo has been their best player in pretty much every game that they've played this year. He's been the best player on a top eight team all year. And he's been running the offense from Duke. He's a 6'10 point forward. Um, and I'm really not worried about his transition to the pros. He has the upside of a true offensive hub, both as a scorer and a passer. Um, he's 65th percentile in isolation success, mainly because he's an amazing dribbler for his size and as big a threat to take dudes off the dribble to the basket or just pull up in their face. Um, and he's dangerous in the pick and roll. He has more attempts as the ball handler in these plays than he does as the role man. And he's an excellent passer for his size. He can really see plays as they develop. So if my rambles didn't make it clear there, he is an incredible, versatile offensive player. The efficiencies haven't always been there, but nothing about Duke has been crazy efficient this year. And, you know, I think he's definitely one of those guys who will benefit at the NBA level more than others. Um, now, if he doesn't make continued growth on both ends, maybe the shooting never becomes efficient. Maybe he never becomes the most focused defender. He may not end up as one of the best three, four players in this class, but he's tough. He's physical. He's just flashed way too much offensive skill to, it's pretty much impossible for me to have him outside the top four. Now I will say he's a very complicated fit in Sacramento. He and Sabonis just overlap in terms of pretty much all of their strengths and weaknesses. Um, neither of them is the most proven floor spacer. I think uh, Mancaro is really trying to make that a big part of his game. It wouldn't surprise me if he improves on that drastically over the next couple of years. And, and um, do you think some of it is that he's kind of creating for himself on some of these? Yeah. He's doing a lot of pull-up threes. Um, and, and when he is no longer the main offensive focal point like if he came to sacramento and suddenly it was De'Aaron fox and and sabonis passing him the ball and he wasn't facing double teams maybe he's three-point shots better uh but you know there is something to be said about like sabonis his best case at the next level the best usage for him is that they're most dangerous in the high post 
Um, so if the Kings top jump to the top four, the real best player available versus fit argument this year is going to be Bancaro. Um, and I got to say, the only dudes I'd comfortably take over him are Smith and Holmgren. Yeah. The fit is very tough. And yeah. it's... I, I am somewhat skeptical of what the ceiling of Paulo is. Like, I, I see the upside. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't say skeptical of the ceiling. I understand the ceiling. I'm skeptical of him reaching that and getting the opportunity and time to reach that in Sacramento, especially yeah. alongside Fox and Sabonis. And I'd be shocked if like, man, Paulo's there at three. We have to take him. So that means we're going to move on from Sabonis. And no. like, I just don't see how that happens. Um, I would honestly think that if the Kings ended up jumping to pick three, Ben Carroll's camp's calling the next day and be like, uh, don't do this. Trade down, do something. Don't, don't pick him, please. Cause you know, it's, it's not where he's gonna be optimized. And it, you know, it, it, at that talent point, I'm just not going to ignore it though. Cause I really do think that he is either the third or fourth best prospect in this class. Yeah. He may, um, he may be higher than that for, like if I was a fan of the San Antonio Spurs or, I don't know, give me some other team that just lacks a primary offensive creator. Uh, Portland. Yeah. Portland yeah, could use Houston. a big hit. Uh, Indiana. Hey. Shout out Tyrese. Oh, God. Indiana. <laughs> if he went to Indiana, if when it, when it was him and Tyrese being the ball handlers, dude, that's just – that's a great pairing. So sad. Miles Miles been. Turner might be a little upset. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That seems to be his permanent state. I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> Megan is asking in the chat, and we also took some questions on Twitter. Um, Meg. Hey, shout out, Megan. Megalou. Yeah. At M E G A L U T O U. Shout out, Meg. Um, asking about best player available versus fit. And I just want to acknowledge we are going to get there, but I think that we can talk about Jaden Ivey first because he mm -hmm. also partially falls into this, and then we can talk about the best player available versus fit conversation. Um, Jaden Ivey is a second-year player at Purdue. He's 20 years old, 6'4". I see an unlisted wingspan um, from Sam Bassini, and he's really been just such a joy to watch this season um ridiculous athleticism and speed in the open court like there's moments where you get these feelings of like a you know the same excitement you get in the open court of deer and fox and john morant like the athleticism and shiftiness is totally there with ivy and this season in the 30 game 32 games he's played averaging 31 minutes 17.3 points per purdue 3.1 assists which um yeah, well, we'll get to his passing for somebody that's a, a guard like he is in a second. 4.9 rebounds on 46% from the field, 36.8% from three on 4.8 three-point attempts per game, and 73.8% from, from the free throw line on 5.8 free throw attempts per game. Um, to start of why where the improvement came from this guy being a top four pick, what feels close to a lock to be 
top four, top five, um, compared to where he was at last year, because again, this is a second year player, but he's jumped up six points from his freshman year. Last year, 25.8% from three on 4.2 attempts. This year, he's up to 36.8% from downtown on right around the same amount of attempts, 4.8. Um, he's getting more minutes. He's more of a, a focal point. And I love Jaden Ivey, to be honest. Um, I, yeah. I, what, do, what are your thoughts on, on Ivey? Uh, I think if anybody missed uh, Purdue, Iowa today, should go watch it just because it had a ton of showcases showcase moments where Ivy just was the most electric dude uh, on a collegiate court. Um, his ability, uh, his combination of speed, explosiveness, creativity when he gets downhill, it's, it's just incredible watch. Um, he's a three level scorer at the next level. Uh, I do understand like on the surface, maybe easy to watch him play think oh well what the kings really draft another high usage guard right now um and for one i don't know that that's a full assessment of who he's been at purdue he's very used to playing off ball purdue has such a spread out offense uh, i think kind of to a detriment at their own times i wish they were more creative and trying to optimize ivy when when the ball is either in his hands or out of his hands um as our buddy mark Schneider kept pointing out on Twitter, like Ivy's offense would really benefit from an NBA coach who gives him some damn ball screens. Cause it just felt like, especially today, every time he got the ball, it was just at the top of the key. Maybe everyone, maybe half of the time, some dude would come over to set one pick, but for a dude who's used to playing off ball, he just needs to have a creative offense put around him so that he can really use that cutting ability. Um, if if you want ball screens, Sacramento's got a whole yeah. lot of pick and rolls going on. I don't mm-hmm. know that we're going to see the same offensive scheme, but there's definitely ball screens going on. Well, and, and they got the it's kind of tongue in cheek, but they, the NBA is going to have more ball screens than what he's seeing. Yeah. Um, and and you know, I will say that uh, my main concern when it comes to a fit with uh, Fox and Sabonis is I buy his shot off the dribble a tad bit more than I believe in his catch and shoot shot, which is weird because the percentages are pretty close. Um, so I do think that there would be somewhat of a transition of, all right, dude, you need to be a floor spacer here. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it's just like Van Caro. Even if I didn't think that it was a fine fit, and I do think it's a fine fit, the Kings do need another scorer um, and, you know, if you're at pick four, I don't really know if there's an argument for uh, best player available. And I don't think that there is a case for anybody other than Jaden Ivey to be best player available aside from um, he who shall not be named because you and I are going to overhype him when we talk about it, uh, AJ Griffin. But yeah. Jaden Ivey is just a really, really good basketball player. Is he the cleanest fit in Sacramento? Probably not, but he is a good fit in Sacramento. The Kings could use a lot of what he does on offense. Defensively, I have no idea how a De'Aaron Fox, Jaden Ivey tandem would survive at the next level. So that's not great, but you know what? I'm, I, 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 they'd score 55 night, whatever. Right, sometimes you just got to aim for a top 10 offense, top 5 offense, and a... <laughs> 
not bottom 10 defense. Like if that's in the position you're in, uh, I will say Ivy, I agree with you. Like offensively, I think makes sense. Um, Like somebody in the chat here says, I'm all about best player available, but taking a third undersized guard again in the first round can really piss Fox off any possibility of being the answer at shooting guard. Um, I don't think he's undersized. He's like, he's, he's legitimately 6'4". I he's think he's good hit. size for the two. And mm-hmm. I don't view Davion as the long-term solution at the two. Could he be? Sure. Do I Massive growth bet needs on to that? Happen. No. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Massive growth needs to, happen. needs to happen. I'm 100% with you. I just am kind of viewing Davion Mitchell... You know, honestly, I'm not even considering Davion Mitchell when I'm making these picks. He does not change who you're picking here. He's not a guy where it's like, we're going to work around him. And maybe that doesn't feel great, but where he was picked at last year, I don't think it's been a horrible outcome. Uh, Obviously, yeah, maybe I shouldn't mention uh, the guy that Kendrick Perkins can't say because it's just too triggering to both of us here with how he's been playing recently. Like maybe there's somebody we would have preferred, but for that pick um, slot, I don't think it's a horrible outcome what you're maybe seeing with Davion Mitchell. I'm, I'm, I'm zipping I'm my mouth myself shut. That. That's what I'm, I'm telling sh- myself. I'm zipping my mouth shut. I'm not I also it. I also can't help but believe that Davion is going to turn it around because the dude works his ass off. And it's not just the BS that you hear like from every single prospect, always a hard worker um, and and maybe not every single, but you hear that very often. It's every single person that has ever interacted with Davion says that this man is an insane worker. Um, Alvin Gentry over and over, if you ask him like, are you concerned with uh, how Davion's shooting? And he's just always like, I will tell you, I am never worried about Davion Mitchell. Well, if he's not worried about Davion. If he's shots. not worried about if he's not worried about Davion, he needs to be starting Davion. There's no reason why Davion Mitchell should not be starting right now. But go on. Yeah. Him or Dante. I'm absolutely with you. Um point being, he's not getting factored in, Davion Mitchell, that is, into who you're picking if you jump into the top four. Jaden yeah. Ivey, I think, is a fine fit alongside Fox for reasons mm-hmm. you laid out. I think you would have a very dynamic offense. It is Dame CJ-esque in the aspect of you're going full in on offense and kind of sacrificing on the defensive end. And then Nurkic is a Sabonis-esque. Like you're going after that mold if that's what you decide. Um, if the Kings I, sit at three, go ahead, sorry. I will say, you know, that the concern to go back to the um, comment you just had, the concern that, you know, is, is Fox going to be okay if they draft another guard? Like, well, on one hand, Deion Fox probably knows that his that the starting guard next to him may or may not be on this roster. Uh, but I'm just going to say this again. Jaden Ivey's not this dude that's been having a 35% usage rate at Purdue and is expecting to come in and be the focal point of an offense. I honestly don't think that I would bet on him to be a primary initiator at the next level. Uh, he's definitely a combo guard. He needs to play next to playmakers. So I, I think we're overthinking the offensive fit. Um, and and the, the the main fit concern for me is, is Ivy's shot going to continue to be at the level that it has been? And what in the heck are we going to do on defense? 
because Davion coming off the bench to be the defensive stopper sounds great. But at the same time, like, you know, pairing a starting backcourt, both such defensive question marks, like a smart head coach ain't going to fix that. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, I think the what the hell are we doing on defense has been a question for years now. So maybe I'm just willing to accept years. that and hope we're not asking the same question on the other end anymore for half the time that they're out there. I tiny rant because I clipped something yesterday from the Utah game. They went an entire 24 seconds without dribbling inside the three-point arc. What are we doing? Anyways, that possession obviously triggered me yesterday. <laughs> I didn't see that one. It, I missed the Utah game. You have to send happen. me that one. I just don't understand. Um, Jay Ivey would hit the paint. It's funny because De'Aaron Fox obviously should hit the paint too. But yes, if you're sitting at three, Chet and Jabari are gone. Your options are Paulo and, and Jaden Ivey. Um, if you if you want to throw someone else in there, actually, we'll stick to those two for now. Um, is there? Don't give me the safety valve. Yeah. Who do you? <laughs> who do you? You have to pick. You can't trade. Who do you take between the two for the Kings? I think I'm taking Jaden Ivey. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that it's easier to envision De'Aaron Fox and Jaden Ivey next to each other than it is to envision Paulo Bancaro and Sabonis next to each other. But my, I, my, my opinion on that will probably change 10 times before I go to bed. Right. So. Yeah, I, I'm with you um, if I'm forced to pick. And I made you play out that scenario i guess if i had to i would i would do the same um i think this is where we kind of start to talk about the idea of trading the pick right are, are you yeah. with me there or are these guys too talented that you can't pass up um because you're not gonna get in unless you're getting a guy that really a team finding a team that loves one of these guys more often than not it's it's very risky. I mean, you could be passing up on a big guy. Like, are you willing to trade a number three pick for like John Collins? Say, I don't know, and and you don't need to answer that question. But point being, would you strongly consider trading the pick if you're sitting at three and Holmgren and Jabari Smith are off the board? Yes, but that's the obvious answer. So I'm I'm just gonna say again, if there's one goal that I have in this entire draft process, it's convincing uh Monty McNair, if he ever hears my words, that trading the pick is not, should not be your default option. You need to watch every one of these dudes. You need to have your guys assessing every one of these players that's in your range because there is real talent here. Now, at the end of the day, it might make the most sense for this team to trade the pick especially if they are just bound to determine to make the playoffs next year. But at the same time, I think that either one of Ivy or Ben Caro, if they came here, no, the fit's not immediately great. I'm sure hoping that there's a smarter head coach here next year who could figure out what to do with somewhat of an awkward fit in that 3-4 range. But they're both good players who I do think could help this team make a playoff run next year. They would instantly be the third best king. No doubt in my mind. Well, I, 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 Harrison. Okay. 
But you must be Fourth best respect. What is going on? Here? Yeah, sorry. I, I'm not going to apologize for forgetting Matthew. I will apologize for forgetting Harrison Barnes. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I would be very. There'd be a lot of fun debates, and I wouldn't. I don't know what I would do if they were sitting at three and Chet and Jabari are are off the board, assumingly in that top two. I would just give anything to hope and wish that one of those guys would fall to three at that point. But you, the you, conversations around the trades yeah. and who you'd be willing to move it for is would be a very interesting conversation that I'm I'm glad I'm not in Monty's shoes for. It's not impossible that I, I think that the most likely number one pick is Chet Holmgren. I do not think it is impossible that Jabari Smith falls to three. I would not bet on it, but it's not impossible. Some team who is constructed differently than Sacramento could easily make the case for Paulo Bancaro or Jade Nivey at two. Yeah. Do you so, think that there's any of these guys like it would probably be Jabari is like the riser. It feels like, like, do you, do you feel like there's chance? And maybe this is kind of what you were saying that they're like, he's just getting overhyped by the uh, media and, and kind of Kings or um, NBA Twitter and things like this compared to, where he's at in NBA circles. I think it's a possibility, but at the same time, he's an elite shooter at a skill that no team is going to undervalue. And he's 6'10". Like, right. He, he, he has the ceiling outcome of a slightly taller. Um, what am I trying to think here? Um, Jason Tatum, slightly taller Jason Tatum. It's a ceiling outcome. So what I wouldn't give are you? <laughs> oh God, I am. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm very excited to get to watch Tatum and Brown at Golden One Center here next week. Well, until Jalen Brown gets traded for the number three pick, let's do weeks. it. Let's very quickly <laughs> do that. Hey, Brian. Speaking, speaking of there Jaylen you go, Brown, there you go. <laughs> Let's move on to the uh, 2022 classes, Jalen Brown. And that is who, right? That is A.J. Griffin. A.J. Griffin, the guy playing alongside Paulo Bancaro at Duke. He is 19 years old, freshman 6'6", with a 6'11 wingspan is what Fasini has. I've seen 19 on draft day. He's 18 right now. Yeah, that is... Yes, very young, and God, I've said the words, the Kings need shooting, or the spacing was horrible, or they couldn't hit shots. Like, I've heard so many damn variations of this team sucks at shooting, especially after the trade, that this type of guy with athleticism, 6'6", again, about a 6'11", 7-foot wingspan, turns 19 on, is 19 on draft day, 18 right now, who's shooting 46% from three. On four three-point attempts a game, um, you know, like 10 points doesn't stand out as anything that it doesn't pop at you. 3.8 rebounds, one assist, a uh, little more than half a steal, half a block on 23 minutes a night, but also 50% from the field. Like the reason that you say this like Jalen Brown is that there's the rawness and athleticism that is somehow like that's also getting questioned in its functionality and translation mm-hmm. to the NBA, I feel like, which Jalen had a lot of the same things because there's so many aspects of 
can you properly utilize this athleticism? And I feel like a lot of that had to do with Jalen was he had a really big jump in his handle. I want to say about year three that allowed him to use that first step. Um, but yeah, I mean, just why are you, why are we so into <laughs> AJ Griffin, Brian? I see people in the chat already being like, he's way too raw. Well, yeah, he's pretty raw at a lot of things. You know what he's not raw at? The number one thing this Kings team needs. He's, he's, he's like a shorter, less sure version of Jabari Smith Jr. Day one, this dude comes in and at the very least is spacing the floor. He is not going to be able to be left uncovered. Let me read you these numbers. 46.7% from three on seven attempts for 40 minutes. 97th percentile for catch and shoot shots. Shooting 47% on all catch and shoot shots. And more than half of those are considered guarded shots. This is not just some young dude sitting in the corner of a Duke offense. It is not paying attention to him. He has been the second best Duke player since conference play started. He is an elite shooter. And if I believed in Sacramento's developmental track record, he would be higher than this. He's definitely a riskier play than anybody else we've talked about. But he's got an elite skill. I fully buy in on his motor. Um, I, I am worried about his immediacy on defense. He does lose his guy a lot. He does. There's a lot going to be a lot of clips of people being like, well, look, he just got blown by. Well, I think about about half of them are, yeah, he just got blown by. He's an 18-year-old dude playing in Duke. Duke has never really been able to optimize any dudes for defense. But at the same time, he's kind of funneling guys into the paint where Mark Williams is. So it's not the worst defensive plan in the world. Um, but when you and just then you see at, flashes of him keeping guys in front of him, yeah, like the, it, and, a lot of it looks like it's just like you just need to clean this up rather than you're mm-hmm. not capable of it. And you kind of talked about his his athleticism package and it kind of being like uh, uh, functional athleticism concerns. Like he's got the frame right now. An 18 year old has a frame of an NBA player in his prime, six six and 225 pounds. Looks like he's been in the league for four years. Robert uh, and many draft analysts. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> now you just cursed. In the right way. In the right way. <laughs> Robert Woodard, if he could shoot. Um, there are a lot of draft analysts who watched him way back in high school who know that he's still rounding into his new body. Like he missed most of his junior year after suffering suffering a dislocated knee. He missed all of his senior year due to COVID. He's now playing for the first time in terms of playing in meaningful games every day. He's trying to turn that muscle gain into functional athleticism. And, oh, by the way, he missed a real chunk of the beginning of the season because he had knee issues. And he's playing for a head coach who probably has the least patience of any coach in the league right now. He is the star of this class hiding in plain sight. Don't know that I trust that Monty McNair is going to take him and be like and be as confident as you and I are that well at least he's got this elite skill will round the rest of it into form. But I'll tell you if if I trusted that the Kings were going to hire a great developmental staff this offseason, man, AJ Griffin could be a fantastic fit with this team. He could be. Um 
I don't think I can talk myself him talk myself into him at like four for the Kings. Um, I could, I I'm gonna have him in the same tier as Ben Carroll and Ivy just because of that upside. But I'll tell you, he's definitely the riskiest guy. Yeah. So I have I have tier I understand one it. Chet and Jabari. Tier mm-hmm. tier one point five is what I'm going with is Paulo and Jaden Ivy, and then uh, AJ Griffin is the top of tier two for me. So it, it's just. It, there's too many because like even when you talk about a guy like like Jalen Brown and I see it I always get really scared of comparing someone to a player that was borderline a most improved player at one That's point in his fair. career like yeah. there is all these pieces but again Sacramento like you're saying isn't a team that he, I exactly feel comfortable betting on their development um and it's it's just a scary a little bit. I, I would be the Kings are not in a position where they can have their rookie come in and, unless they make some other big move with a future first and Rashawn or or Harrison or something, which seems unlikely. Um, they're not in a position where they can have their rookie come in and be the eighth guy. Yes, but again, I don't know that that's all he can be because at the very least he will be the best floor spacer this team has from day one yeah um, um harrison barnes are, is shooting 42.1 percent from oh three. yeah i don't After know why that, i keep forgetting harrison barnes tonight good lord well uh, no harrison is there sorry I, I didn't mean to correct you i was just pointing out harrison right 42.1 percent 4.7 per game do you know who the next best three-point shooter on this team is it's it's pretty depressing to have to think about this, but is it is it still technically Justin Hall? No, <laughs> well, okay, so I'm only looking at in since they played with the Kings. Oh, and since they played Sacramento, um, is it Fox? It is actually Trey Lyles. Oh, um, the dude who's 36, helping us. Pack. Yeah, thirty six point four percent, and then you get to Dante thirty two percent. The Kings' third best three point shooter is shooting thirty two percent from three. And I think Dante's better than his numbers. I think Justin's better than his numbers. But undeniable that the three-point shooting is very much a need. And the one thing that you look at Griffin and you're like, he's doing this. I I will say the comment section's making me laugh right now because everybody's like, oh, why are we taking a Duke guy with knee issues? Well, I'll just say this. I didn't want <laughs> I didn't want he who shall definitely not be named because I never saw his niche on either end of the court. It is impossible not to see what AJ Griffin can be immediately. And just real quick, where are you at with the knee injuries? Do you have a, a good like understanding of his history? And it, it, It's not like he tore ACLs or anything. It was a dislocated knee. It didn't require, I don't think it required surgery. He just was out the rest of his high school junior year and why would you play in your high school year um and then this year it was a sprained knee so it's not like it's a extended history of one knee uh, i don't even know if it's that big a thing to worry about but you know i'm not the most tuned in in terms of uh high school to college history so yeah, I'm definitely going to poke around a little bit uh, there as well. But yes, please do. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely 
AJ Griffin really catches my attention. I don't know that I'm as willing to maybe take the risk higher as, as you kind of sound like you might be, but I also would very much talk myself into it as I talk myself into most things. Um, should we go to the the Franz Wagner of this year? Yes, the Tim. Oh Ash God, I shouldn't have even say that because I hate that comparison. I just meant it in terms of us draft crushing on them. Yes, and shout out to Tim. Have to do this. Sacktown baby giraffe, obviously. Tim has been on Keegan Murray for it feels like a month plus now, at mm-hmm. least. I might be underselling yep. that, and no, I. No, it's been like it's been early february yeah long before everybody else started talking about him at this high the debater in me couldn't help but want to not like the same guy as everybody else in the king's herald slack that tim got people hyped on and you can't you just can't (laughs) not like keegan murray have you seen like keegan murray six eight sophomore at iowa who is averaging 23.7 points in 31.5 minutes, along with 8.6 rebounds, uh, 1.3 steals per game, and 2 blocks per game on 56% from the field, 40% from 3 on 4.7 3-point attempts. Um, What the hell? Like, why why is it? Never mind. Talk to me about the positives of this guy. <laughs> because this is just ridiculous, right? Like, is he not what the Kings need of rim protection, three-point shooting, and some higher upside that also is there to work with on the offensive end? Yeah. I'm going to get the the grade out of the way first because I always feel like when I have to talk about why I'm not as insanely high on him as uh, some other people, Tim very much included. I feel like I'm nitpicking too much, and I don't want to do that because he is a very good player on both ends. So let's get the good out of the way. He is insanely efficient on both ends of the court. Um, it, it the the level of two way play from a guy at his usage rate is incredible. Um, 23.7 points per game, 8.6 rebounds is incredible in itself. Then you look at the field goal, 56% of the field, 40% from three. Um, and there's not been a guy I can remember who had those kind of numbers, a 30% usage rate, and was also averaging two blocks and nearly a steal and a half per game. Um, it the, the level of offensive efficiency and yet, at the same time, no sacrifice in defensive success is incredible. You just don't see many dudes like that. Um, and honestly, aside from his versatility, the favorite, my favorite aspect of Keegan Murray's game is just how consistent he is How with his approach. He just never takes a playoff. He rarely ever plays outside of himself. He's just a smart dude who makes good decisions on both ends. Um, there's been a lot of comparisons. Our buddy Omer has made a hundred of them in this in the Kings Herald Slack, and they've all been terrible. My favorite comparison is Harrison Barnes, but with significantly better collegiate defensive intensity. And the Kings need more Harrison Barnes players. Like very yeah. bluntly, if they had two more Harrison Barnes, this team would 
be in a pretty good position. And is the downside of Murray to you? Um, I, I think I'm at times skeptical of him defending in space. Um, I think that, you know, I, I mentioned this, I think in the Slack or maybe it was on Twitter and, and you kind of pointed out to me that you feel all right about it. And so did some of the other guys. And as I dug into it, I, I certainly don't feel as bad as I maybe once did um, or as concerned, because even if I had a sliver of thinking, oh, God, this could be a mess at the NBA level, it would really scare me. And I'm not quite it could be a mess um, mm-hmm. or anything like that. I think he's capable. But like with the Kings, he has to play the four defensively, really, because yes. Sabonis is the five there. So he's got to be able to impact the game also as a perimeter defender. Um, but to me, if if Sabonis is the one engaged in the pick and roll defensively and you have Keegan Murray on the weak side and is able to play that and, and do the sort of shot deterrence and blocking that we've seen him capable of in his sophomore year at Iowa that like I totally get and like how that fit works alongside Sabonis and obviously the shooting is phenomenal for this Kings team desperately needed as we've touched on why is he below why is he a tear down for you from these other guys Uh, he's he may end up in this tier when it's all said and done just because he's such a high floor player um if if I'm gonna nitpick and I'll and I will do that, um, it, it it's weird to say this because he just won a Big Ten title. He just had the most points in Big Ten tourney history. I think it's easy to stare at his numbers and miscast him as a future big time scorer. And I, I he does his damage within the flow of an offense. He's not a dude who has to, or I guess gets to, is is more correct for Iowa. He doesn't get to create on the fly. That's not who Iowa has played him as this year. And more, he's been the best weapon for most of their set plays. Um, And while roles change at the NBA level, and evaluation should always be done more on skills than roles, I just, I don't buy in that he's wired to be that dude. Um, He's so composed and everything he does is methodical. Um, Like, he had a highlight dunk at the end of the Purdue game where he just jammed on a dude's head to secure a conference title. And he was just running up the court to play defense with 40 seconds to go. Like he's just not a dude who plays like I'm going to go out there and be the best player on the court. So on one hand, that's not criticism. Every team in the NBA should want smart players with that approach, but I'd hedge to bet that he's more likely to be a great role player at the next level than some big time go-to score. Um, that's not to say that he shouldn't be the pick if the Kings don't jump into the top four. I'm just not going to have him in the top four. And I think any disagreements that we have on Kings Twitter is going to be just about where we, what our expectations are for Murray. Um, because it, it, that's on both ends. Keegan Murray is going to be a good defender. I think he would absolutely help this team on defense. I think that his perimeter defense is good to the point where he's going to help this team. He's not going to be some power forward who just gets blown by. Uh, and like you talked about, the the idealized fit here is that he can be the weak side rim protector next to Sabonis, but I think that might be overvaluing the end result of his rim protection. 
I think that he is a, going to be a step down in terms of rim production at the next level. I'd love to be wrong on that. I'd love for him to be a perfect defensive fit next to Sabonis, but to me, he is not a uh, Scotty Barnes, anything close to Evan Mobley, anything close to Chet Holmgren. I don't think he's that sort of defensive deterrent, and that's not a complaint because he's going to be a good defender. I don't think he massively changes the trajectory of this franchise. Yeah. Um, I think that that's where, you know, as much as I love Keegan Murray and what I've seen so far, why he's going to be sitting at like six, seven is because the lack of upside. Like when you're talking the top of the draft, it's about upside. And Keegan, I'm definitely going to watch more of him as the year goes on. I mean, all of these guys, I still definitely have to do more research on and and my takes are going to change as we progress here until we eventually reach the the draft and the Kings will trade the pick anyways and all of this won't matter, but who cares? <laughs> we um, said that last year. We did. We, we said did. that last year. My God, they, I was, yeah, when they picked Davion, man, I was so shocked. Anyways. Yeah, you weren't you were live on the radio. <laughs> you were, I'm never, yes. I'm never going to forget that moment of, Oh, they're gonna take Moses Moody, and and all's gonna be. Wait, what did Woe just say? I, yeah, my friend has a recording, and I just found out. I thought that I had the recording, and it somehow got deleted. But my friend has a recording of me reacting to it, and it's the same way. I have tweet deck up, like I'm not watching. I do have it on the TV, but I'm waiting for the Woe or Shams tweet, and it pops up. It was, anyways. I really like Davion as a player. I hope that he performs well and, and bounces back love, from this rookie year. I love Davion as a person. I yes. think I think that uh, it might be best to trade him this offseason. That's all I'll say. I, I could see the logic, absolutely. I'm going to have to go back and watch a little bit more of Keegan Murray's um, rim protection to see just how I feel about him as a defender because I do worry that he could be yeah, the rim protection, I mean, from what you said, gives me a little bit concerned because I also don't feel great about him on the perimeter. So I, I think that uh, it'll definitely be interesting. <laughs> no, no, we didn't. Did John not chat, say that. People said Did Franz not say had that, a super no. low ceiling. Um, I don't, well, well, not super low, not super low, but low compared to... We sure to, didn't say that. You're right. I think I ended up with him five or six it was very high it was i'd very take high. i'd take this is no this is no negative to against uh, uh keegan murray i would take franz over him pretty easy it's franz wagner like he is the biggest guy on this show that is not a sacramento king like i have we would have no choice um, we successfully talked about Franz Wagner and Moses Moody when talking about Keegan Murray. So I think yeah, this we're is back a, in the swing of things. a success. Yeah, at some point we'll get to uh, one other guy playing in Philly at some point here, I'm sure. But yes, I, I think that Keegan is an interesting player that I would be very happy with for Sacramento. Um, but I think this is where we can kind of start to have the conversation about best player available compared to fit. If you're sitting there at let's say pick four and the players that have been taken off the board or let me make this more difficult for you since you have aj griffin in a tier above the kings are sitting 
at pick. Hmm, how do I do this? Your tiers are Chet, Jabari, Paulo, Jaden, and AJ Griffin in that top one, right? Uh, top one is Jabari and Chet, and then oh, gotcha. Tier two is right now Ivy Bancaro, Griffin, and there it, it's not inconceivable to me that Murray will be in that second tier. Um, yeah, so that should be a sign that I am not low on this dude. Right. Um, okay. So hypothetical for you, Bryant, and this is the whole best player available versus fit. Say the Kings are picking fifth. Okay. Off the board um, is Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Jaden Ivey, and AJ Griffin. Oh. So you're stuck hey. with a pool of Paulo Benchero, Keegan Murray. Um, those are guys we touched on so far. If there's another name you want to throw in, no, where do you no, go that's from there? A good one. Because how many times have I seen uh, people on King's Twitter talk about I like Murray better than Mancaro? You know, I I disagree with this. I think Mancaro is a better long-term prospect than Keegan Murray. He's taller. He's stronger. He's a better individual creator. Murray's primary creation ability uh, early in the season came from his driving game, a strength to be sure. Paulo's got that, but he also has an amazing pull-up ability with more range and height to add to it. He has a better handling ability in traffic. He's a much better passing big man. Um, I think that there is a better chance that Murray ends up as a strong NBA starter. Maybe that is alluring to Monty McNair and some Kings fans, but I think if Paulo hits, he could be a primary initiator on a good team. And I don't necessarily know that I can say that for Murray. Yeah. So it's, it's Paulo. Yeah. Okay. It would be, I would be calling teams and being like exactly. hey look i got this fantastic player at five um you want to give me a haul for that right right yeah like, the most it, ideal it, would be trading down and still getting your yeah back. the the king's ending up at picks three through four three through five it doesn't have to end with us overly stressing about fit and stuff if monty mcnair is a great gm he should have teams bidding against each other for that pick. So, he, yes, yes. Just jump. It's also a dangerous game because you don't know, like if you're trading back even three picks, you don't know who the two in between those are going. Even if you feel like you have great intel on what teams like what guys, like you do play a little bit of a risky game there, right? Um, but I, I think that that would be the scenario that I would have to go with if I'm sitting at five and, and Paulo's there, or even honestly, if I'm sitting at four or three and say, if I'm sitting at three and Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren are off the board, I'm probably trying to trade back to pick five or six mm-hmm. and get an additional asset rather than, and then picking A.J. Griffin or Keegan Murray at five or six rather than taking Paulo Banchero or Jaden Ivey at pick three. Um, so I think to simplify the answer of, again, this is from Meg Lou on, on Twitter. She's in the chat here as well. Shout out, Meg. Um, to answer the question more simply of best player available, Shire G versus positional fit, I go back to my tiers. Yeah. Where it, it's always I don't tiers. reach down a tier. Nope. Uh, and, and, and that's what I hope. Monty McNair does. Um, 
I know that there's been a lot of conversations of, well, he always takes best player available. Well, uh, it, the complexity there is, is that we don't know if he genuinely thought Davion Mitchell is the best player on the board or was Davion Mitchell the only dude left in his tier at that range. Um, so it, it the, the complexity of, well, Monty drafts are best player available is that we don't actually know how he structures his best player available argument. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and weirdly, I, I almost want to throw in with the Davion thing. Like, we don't know if he was considering Monty McNair, that is, in, in the front office, mm-hmm. Wilcox, and all those guys, if they were considering immediate impact. Because the team seems like they were trying to win games, like, maybe not right now, right now, but um, it definitely more in the short term. So I almost wonder, like, how much that factored in with a four-year guy. I think that there was an idea that... Davion would be quicker to produce at the NBA level. Um, we've ran a little bit longer than I expected. I think that we've gone through the oh, main guys. Us, us going long on a prospect pro- a podcast. What Shocking. else is there? Shocking. Um, is there anybody else that you want to maybe spend a second having a conversation on before we kind of lightning round through these? There's a couple others. Yeah. I, I think that uh, going lightning round through uh, uh, the the other dudes we talked about sounds like a good idea. All right, let's do it. Um, first one here is, oh, shit, right as Will asks for six minutes and 22 seconds of Jalen Duran. <laughs> uh, sorry, Will, Will, Will but yeah, uh, well, we could do the 22 seconds part. Yeah. Um, Where you at, Jalen Duran? If rim protection is at the top of Monty McNair's list, Duran is the selection. Um, this class has multiple shot blockers where they have first round consideration, but nobody's got Duran's combination of foot speed, explosiveness, ability to guard in space. Um, he held opponents to just 21.4% shooting around the basket, 99th percentile for success in the country. Uh, his two-way upside reminds me of the role that Willie Cauley-Stein could have played if he had been anybody else besides Willie Cauley-Stein. Um, and heck, go if, if if you have any questions about what Jalen Dern's going to be at the next level, go watch uh, their semifinal win in the AC Conference Tournament. He had 21 points and 20 rebounds. Can, can you talk yourself into the Duran and Sabonis fit? I can. I, re- I keep telling Will this because there's nobody higher in King's Twitter on Jalen Duran than Will Griffith, um, our best friend. I cannot see Monty McNair saying, hey, you know what? You know what I'm going to do with my primary offices and asset? I'm going to take an 18-year-old center. Right. I mean, we didn't consider Davion Mitchell, so at this point, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do all my research. Will said the exact same thing to me a couple hours ago. Um, I will say, if the basketball guards are kind to us, we will have Chet Holmgren versus Jalen Duran in the uh, round of 32. There we go. Um, who do you want to go with next? Uh, let's do Benedict Matherin, uh, best prospect in the big in the Pac-12, uh, putting up truly insanely efficient numbers as a three-level scorer. Uh, he had a twenty-seven point seven assist, four rebound outing against UCLA to win the Pac-12 tournament uh, and get the number two seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, shooting thirty-seven point six percent from three, sixty. 0.8% around the rim, 
And given his explosive athleticism and touch around the basket, I have few concerns about those numbers translating to the next level. Um, much like the other wings that we're going to talk about and kind of did talk about with AJ Griffin, he's not the most consistent or locked in defender. Uh, but if he helps Arizona get to the final four, it may not mean that much. Um, if, if you're a casual college basketball fan, make sure you watch Arizona. They are one of the most enjoyable offensive teams to watch. Yeah, I think Matherin for me, like I put out a tweet on on the KP account the other day of a crappy tankathon roll. Um, it was first one of the day, and I think the Kings fell to eight. And Here's everybody that we, we had it. talked about so far fell. Benedict Matherin yeah. to me is like the worst case, maybe not worst case, but where I'm at right now with only 10 or so guys that I feel really comfortable placing and ranking. He's a guy yeah. where, yeah, if you're sitting in that eight to say 10, like you get a shitty lottery roll. Matherin is a guy that I could talk myself into really being a potentially solid pick. Again, 6'6 guy, Arizona, sophomore. He's not that old, 37% from three this year, 41% last year, athleticism, um, and I think a solid defender. He's somebody that definitely interests me that I would uh, have to strongly consider compared to whatever trade offers are on the table if if you got dealt a shitty hand in the draft lottery. After this, um, let's do Johnny Davis at uh, Wisconsin, and, and he's a little bit more of a uh, of a guy that's kind of score first, and and also one of these uh, not defense, but you're fully buying into offense. Six four, and uh, what what have you kind of seen from the sophomore at Wisconsin? Uh, well, fingers crossed that he's healthy for the tournament run. He had a, uh, a, I think it was a sprained ankle in the regular season closing game, and he was dreadful in the one game of the Big Ten tournament before they lost. Uh, he was clearly very hampered. Um, so hoping he's healthy. Um, he won Big Ten Player of the Year, averaged nearly 20 points and eight rebounds a game. Uh, Wisconsin is a legitimate number three seed for that reason. Uh, smooth three-level scorer who's not afraid of physical matchups or double teams. Uh, remarkably clutch for Wisconsin throughout the Big Ten conference season. Um, if I have a concern and why I'm not going to have him as high as some evaluators, it's one I don't buy uh, in on his defensive tools. I think that uh, Matherin has better defensive upside. I definitely think AJ Griffin has better defensive upside. And Davis's success from three is really coming on all season long. He's currently at just 31.7% from three. Um, so he's hoping he's healthy because he is fun to watch. He's interesting, and, and he feels like uh, the potential Davion of, like, you know, if he, he's a guy, if you really value him highly, that we would all be like, oh, shit, they really just took, took Johnny Davis. I would find a way to talk myself into it. The team needs shooting, um, and you're trying to get a top five offense, bottom 10 defense. Like, I don't love it, but I think that there's interest, and if you, if somebody believes, if the Sacramento front office believes that his three-level scoring, like you said, is very real and sees him as best player available when they're picking, can't do a trade. I could talk myself into Johnny Davis as long as they are very firm and believing that he's best player. I don't know that I'm going to be there, but who knows what we'll have to see as as time goes on here. Um, next guy. Do we only have one more? I think so. Is it, and that's... Sorry, uh, Easton. There you go. Yeah. Um. He, he may seem a little high that we're talking about him as a lottery guy. Um, on Brett's, uh, 
Brett Huff, everybody go follow Brett Huff. He does a really good uh, composite big board. Uh, everybody pretty much have a, has him as a friend lottery among mocks drafts, but like it's hard to watch Eason and not see why he'd fit in Sacramento. His defense's success and tough physical approach should earn him a spot in my lottery at least. Uh, six eight seven two wingspan, plenty of strength, explosiveness, and coordination. He's just an excellent defender. Uh, are you ready for these insane per forties? Three point three steals and one point eight blocks. Mm. Also leading. Monty's the stock guy. Monty's the draft stock guy. Monty's the stock guy. If I was confident in his deep shot, he'd be an absolute lock in my top eight. Uh, but despite shooting 35.5% from deep this year, and 38.2% off the catch, he's got a very slow release, almost like he's uh, throwing it with a trebuchet. Uh, so that's a tad scary. Um, LSU fired head coach Will Wade uh, this week. So despite the fact that LSU was a number six seed uh he got caught doing some uh, illegal recruiting things so they just cut bait uh it wouldn't surprise me i mean you could forgive the tigers if they just bust and, and lose in the one of the first two rounds um i would love to see lsu get to uh the round of 32 because then they play wisconsin that'd be a lot of fun but you know can't have everything Am I accurate and I don't have a great feel on Tari Eason? Um, is this an accurate, shitty, half-assed uh, diagnosis to look at him as really just a diagnosis? It's the first time I've ever used that word talking about an NBA prospect. Um, that he's just like a little, he's a worse version of Keegan Murray. No, here's what he is. He is the dude you thought Robert Woodard would be. God, sign me up, Brian. Take him four. <laughs> I knew screw that would work. best, screw fit. I mean, screw best player. I don't care. This, yeah, it's a different conversation here. I miss Robert Woodard already, even though I don't. But I do. No, you don't. I I do not miss the conversations. I miss like the game here and there where I'm like, oh shit, oh shit. Um, there's only there's only one dude from that draft class you should miss. Oh yes. <laughs> me over here like Tobias. <laughs> um, really quick to go through some of the questions that we put out on Twitter. Um, how would drafting, this is at Sacktown Burner, or Burn, Sacktown Burner at Burner Sack. How would drafting Chet to play alongside Sabonis be any different than the Turner-Sabonis duo that didn't work in Indy? Well, I think Chet Holmgren is going to be even more of a perimeter player than Miles Turner. Um and you know what? I'm not going to overly try to analyze the complexities of that relationship because who the heck knows? Uh, the only person who can tell uh, Monty McNair who he wants to play, who Sabonis wants to play next to is Sabonis. Uh, and I struggled to see Sabonis looking at Chet Holmgren and being like, uh, he averaged how many blocks? He shot 41% from three. Yeah, I don't want to play next to that dude. Yeah. Uh, I am definitely with you. Um, quick bit on Shady and Sharp. It sounds like he might return is all the smoke, right? But potential top five guy didn't play at all this season. How are you kind of dealing with that situation? Didn't join the – the. he plays – he's going to play at Kentucky. Uh, didn't join until halfway through the year. I think it was because he reclassified. Um, everything they just keep – signaling to the world is that he's going to play at Kentucky next year. 
I'm not going to watch his high school film until I have to. Uh, so I have no takes other than uh, he seems like a guy who's going to warrant serious consideration if he play, if he does enter the draft. Definitely. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a great feel on him, but seeing guys be projected top 10, it's, I, I, I don't know. Weird. We'll have to have a PD web on to talk about him if he classifies. Absolutely. Uh, final thing from a listener before I get us out of here. Uh, King's draft sent me a DM uh, before this episode earlier today. Just, uh, he said, just going to leave this here. AJ Griffin is born on August 25th, 2003, 18 years old. Keegan Murray, born on August 19th, 2000, and is 21 years old. Um, feels like that is the Franz and Moody conversation that we're going to end up having, and, and maybe it develops as the year goes on and uh, get a better feel for some of these guys, myself specifically, because I know you're far ahead of me at this point. Um, but it, it kind of feels like Rick, AJ Griffin, Duke, and Keegan Murray, Iowa, are going to be the conversation unless they're jumping into top four. Yeah. And that in itself, that statement right there, the Kings could draft one of those two dudes if they stay at their pick right now is all the more reason why Sacramento needs to lose to Indiana so that we can pass Indiana. And if we fall back, we just fall back to six or seven instead of falling and back to seven or eight and taking I us really out of hope. those two dudes. Yes, absolutely. And it's really damn funny that this Indiana game is a big one. I am going to be very keyed in on watching Tyrese Halliburton on defense, and we'll see if he does some shit after the game. (laughs) It should be a fun one. Um, Draft work is underway on King's Pulse, on the King's Herald. Bryant is the guy at BS West 5 on Twitter. Um, Any final thoughts, Bryant, before we get out of here? I'll have a uh, full breakdown of... Pretty much everything we just talked about on King's Herald uh, by Wednesday. Um, I know that there's a ton of dudes that we didn't end up talking about. I'm hoping to catch up on a lot of guys during this tournament because I'll admit I'm behind where I normally am. Um, So, yeah, just keep tuning in here. I think uh, you and I will start doing some prospect breakdowns once the tournament's over. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to end with... Let's go Wyoming or Indiana, either one, really. Um, You know, honestly, I did not know who St. Mary's was playing and tried to Google this right now. And by your reaction, I don't know that I I, I was right. They're playing playing either Indiana or Wyoming. Gotcha. Those two teams play off in the playing games on Tuesday. So St. Mary's is going to get a more tired team. Uh, I'm going to take... St. Mary's going to the Sweet 16. There we go. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Um, anybody, like I said, de- definitely follow uh, Bryant West at BS West Fies, as I'm sure everybody is. Miss you, man. It's nice having you on. I'm so, like, I miss having you and Rich. This is so, so nice. It's back <laughs> to the old days. I don't, I We're get back. to just be more myself. I don't have to overthink these things. It's great. Yeah, um, anybody who anybody who was so happy that either I or Rich had uh, vacated, well, guess what? We're back. Of course, of course, it was only a matter of time. Um, and I'm going to have more of the Kings Herald guys on in the near future as well. Um, just had a lot going on and kind of feeling in a rhythm here. But 
definitely check out all the great work going at the King's Herald from Bryant, myself, and all the other guys and gals. And take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review on YouTube as well now. And if you enjoyed, you stay tuned. You'll hear from us again in the next couple of days.